We're glad to have you here today. That means you uh, have survived, hopefully, the flu. You got past that. You got past the flood. We've had, I don't know how much rain, but we're glad that you're here no matter what. We know that some of you are here for baptism today. You either being baptized, you've got a family member being baptized. We want you to know that you're welcome. We won't do anything weird, no more weird than we normally do. Uh, that, That may not give you any peace at all, but. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Today we've been talking in the book of Romans and we talked, uh, we started with uh, the whole book of Romans, but we got to chapter 8. When we got to chapter 8, we decided we just go slow down and, and spend a while on Romans 8 because it's such a powerful uh, passage. It's considered one of the greatest passages in the Bible, Romans 8. And we talked about how our salvation is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ and we have been justified, justified being a completed act, justified. We've been justified just like we'd never sinned before. And we are being sanctified. We're in a process. We're not there yet, but we're going to get there, but we're not there yet. You ever been in a car and your kid goes, are we there yet? Evidently not because we're still driving. But are we there yet? Yeah. And today we're going to be talking about suffering. Or we're going to be talking about the three stages of uh, marriage <laughs> relationship <laughs> there's the uh, engagement ring and then there's the wedding ring and then there's suffering <laughs> some of you are living that truth <laughs> and some of you are in heavenly bliss uh, happily ever after uh, and if you are Glory be to God. That's all I can say. And so today we're talking about suffering. You know, people wrestle with this whole concept of, of, of suffering. And like, why, why are we suffering? And last uh, service I read the entire passage, but I'm not going to do it this service because uh, we do have baptism. So I'm going to get right into the heart of the message and I will cover those verses. But we're dealing with... Uh, Romans 8, 18 through 25. And uh, it talks about three groans. We're groaning. You know, it says the creation is groaning. Then we are groaning. And then it says, I won't get into that part, but the Holy Spirit is groaning. We're going to deal with that next week. You ever get up in the morning and you groan? Like, oh my God, I got to put my sock on. The older you get, the more you groan, just to let you know. Uh, you go in, you know, I didn't used to believe in the hereafter, but now I go in a room and I go, what am I hereafter? You know, you, oh yeah, I think I've been here for this, but you know, and, uh, and you know, sometimes people make fun of old people, but you know, the jokes on them, one day they're going to be old too. And we all groan. I grew up in a very, uh, I guess you go spiritually revival type church and they just believed in divine healing that bless God you need to be divinely healed and it's an instant you can be divinely quickly healed and I have been healed before and I thank God for that but the same people I remember preachers would preach so hard and they tell you if you really believe God you would not walk with no crutches, no cane. You, you would not be wearing glasses. You would not be wearing hearing aids if you was really a child of God. And you know, it kind of pumped me up as a uh, minister back. When you're young, when you're young and you got a young body, you can kind of flow with that. You know, you got everything's going on. You get older, it's kind of hard to preach that. What I noticed is those preachers got older, they started wearing glasses or got out of the ministry. Or they started wearing hearing aid. What? Yeah, put your hearing aid in. You can't hear. But it was kind of like they were ashamed because of what had happened to them. That's like it was a lack of faith. A lot of people have some crazy thoughts about uh, suffering. Uh, a lot of people, when you think of, you know, why is there suffering? And, and, and Paul is very, uh, Paul is good at just being very open and honest with people. He was dealing with a time in Rome where people were suffering. You know, it wasn't like, okay, we're under really bad government right now, and in four years, we're going to vote the 
person in that's going to change everything. No, uh, Rome was pretty much in charge, going to be in charge for a long, long time. They were killing Christians. They go, oh, the Christians say, we're the light of the world. And they go, okay. They tied them to a pole, and they poured wax over them, and they lit them up like a candle. And it gave them great light on the way to the Colosseum where animals tore their bodies apart. So during that period of time, during that period of time, Christians want to know why, or if we're serving God, why are we suffering? Why, are, why has my buddy got tore apart last week by a bear or a lion? Why are we being burned at the stake? Why, why you know, if, 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 if God is real, and hey, you, Paul, if you're such a man of God, why you been in jail so many times? Why you been beaten so many times? How many you been, you know, been shipwrecked so many times? What's up? You ever had anybody made you feel like something's not going good in your life? And they're like, yeah, if you lived for God, that wouldn't happen to you. Or if you took better care of your finances, you wouldn't be in that shape. You ever feel like that? And, and, and people make you feel that way. The very first book of the Bible, actually the first... Uh, book chronological was the book of Job. Now, Genesis is the first book as far as telling us the story of Jesus, telling the story, really every book of the Bible is about Jesus, if you don't know that, but every book of the Bible is telling us about there's a redeemer coming, there's a curse reverser guy coming, he's going to reverse the curse, and, but he's not here yet, and until he gets here, there's going to be a lot of bad things happen. But in Job, you know, in the Old Testament, we find out the devil's cast out of heaven. Lucifer. We, we find that Job is going through a horrible time. And, and, and the, his friends, his closest friends say, yeah, if you were living for God the right way like I am, this wouldn't be happening to you. Very religious. And if you was doing this... And even they said, why don't you curse God and die? You know, if God loved you, he wouldn't let you go through this. But that wasn't the truth. Finally, Job resolved in his heart that though God slay me, yet I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. This is the very place Paul is trying to get us. Paul does not... uh, point us to a rose garden he tells us that in this life you are going to have troubles you're going to have tribulations and uh, but a lot of times not being able to explain why we suffer is what produces so many agnostic or atheists well, I don't believe there's a God if there was a God he would solve all this mess we're living in you ever find those people that everything that goes wrong is God's fault it's God's fault. You know, even insurance. It's an act of nature, act of God. They used to say it, act of God. And so a lot of people go, you Christians, you're all about that pie in the sky. This pie in the sky, you know, like you just like Pollyannas. You know, everything's going to be good. It's not good, but it's going to be good. But I'm going to tell you something. When the mortality rate in Cumberland County is 100%, everybody's going to die. Tell your neighbor you're going to die. Just t- yeah. It's a good way to start the service out. You're going to die. <laughs> Unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, and then you're going to be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Other than that, you're going to die. So, the more t- so since we're all going to die anyway, wouldn't you like to have some pie when you die? <laughs> when you start getting older, you change everything. These young people, they're still going to the gym every day and exercising. They believe that they can keep that perfect body their entire life. That's what they believe. Now, don't, don't shake their belief system. Us older people, we go to the restaurant. We order dessert first because we don't even know if we're going to make it till the meal's over. So you get your dessert first, and then if you're okay, you just eat some more other stuff. <laughs> But Paul says we're groaning for glory. What does he mean by that? We're groaning for glory. 
Paul deals with the mistaken view in the defense of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, where he says that if the dead are not raised, Paul was, he used these phrases like therefore. When you see a therefore in scripture that especially Paul wrote, you go and look back, what is that there, therefore? He's referring back to something and bringing you forward. So therefore, and then he says, he uses another thing, if, if this is the case, then. We could, we could do better at that, you know. Okay, I'm not going to disagree with you, but if you believe this, then this is where you're headed. I'm not saying, I'm not judging you. <laughs> but see, the groaning for glory, this present suffering, and uh, it is for future glory. That's where we're headed, future glory. So we want to know why, why, why? You know, kids are bad about saying why. Why is it raining today? Why is it raining again today and it was raining yesterday? You said it probably wasn't going to rain today and now it's raining. Why can't we go to the park? You said we're going because it's raining. We can't go to the park. Well, why ain't it snowing? It's winter and if it's raining, it should I don't know. I don't know. Why is grandpa sick? Why do you don't feel good? Why are we all getting the flu? Why, why, why? That's, that's, that's the way really children are. They want to know why. And it's, it's really bad when we as parents don't know why. We just make up stuff. You know there's a lot of religions just make up stuff. Instead of just saying, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, is your guess as good as mine? I don't know. Does anybody know why Washington is doing what it's doing? I don't know. I don't have a clue. If you do, be sure to tell somebody. Because they don't know what's going on. But he says that if the dead, if, like some of you don't believe in the resurrection, he's saying, if you're one of those that don't believe, you don't believe that Jesus was raised, and he already told us earlier that, that over 500 people saw Jesus raised at, at one occasion. So it wasn't, it wasn't a bean dream or something like that. It, it, 500 people gathered together saw Jesus after he was dead. And all the apostles say that he was raised from the dead. And Jesus uh, came to Paul. And Paul said, I'm like one of these guys out of season. But I saw Jesus after he was dead. And I'm just telling you that this is true, that Jesus is raised from the dead. So now Paul is picking up some of his previous arguments. And he's even over in Corinthians writing, he says, If the dead is not raised, then eat, drink, and be merry. You know, eat and drink. I'm telling you, the world is losing hope. And if the world's not going to get no better, and there's no way out, and nobody's going to figure out, no, why don't we just all get drunk? Why don't we all get uh, high? Why don't we all just legalize everything, do everything, party until we die? And Paul is right in there with that argument. If you do not believe Jesus rose from the dead, go get high today. Go get drunk today. Party until you die. Why hang out with a bunch of boring people, right? If you don't believe Jesus is resurrected from the dead, you're wasting your time. And so he tells them, if, if, if you, then eat and drink because tomorrow you may die. But if, but if, but if Jesus was raised, then the dead will be raised. And if the dead are raised, then we should be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. Why would Paul say that? Because he felt like his toil was in vain in the Lord. He felt that way. No matter what he'd done, people still wanted to kill him. No matter what he'd done, they kept beating his back raw. You know, he said five times 40 strikes, say one, so five times 39, you know, times he was beaten within an inch of his life until his bones were showing sometimes. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. And I'm not talking about the high kind of stone. He was stoned with rocks. He went through all of that. And he goes, if I didn't think this was real, why would I go through all that? 
Why would I go through that toil? Why would I go through it? But I don't believe I'm going through it in vain. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. And I believe it's going to be worth it. So Paul, he begins to draw these conclusions. You know, why do people do bad things to hurt each other? You know, Paul is dealing with that. Why, why then, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, there's any really good people. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's really no good people. I mean, we try to be good. But then, since none of us are exempt from suffering and death, it's important that we understand what the Bible teaches about this difficult topic. I don't care how religious you are, you'll never absolutely be absent from any kind of suffering. And so, we ask ourselves, is this all there is? Paul said, if this is all there is, then just go out and party. Live your life. And you see a lot of people in our society, they're living like this is all there is. Do you blame them? If they have no hope, if they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus Christ, why wouldn't you believe this? I get it. If I didn't believe in God, I'd think this is all there is. I, I definitely wouldn't be here today. And so Paul is dealing with this right there in Rome with these people. And he tells us then that Paul deals with the, the mistake, the view that defense, in the, his defense of the resurrection where he says that if the dead are not raised, then eat, drink, and be married. He tells us Paul wants us to understand these certain realities. Number one, the present time is marked by suffering because the fall of man. So people want to know, well, why is there suffering? Why does some crazy person go and shoot a bunch of kids in a school? Why does somebody go into a business and shoot a bunch of people? Why do people do the things they do? Why do people kidnap and, 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 and take uh, kids into sex slavery? Why is all this stuff happening? Why is God allowing all this? So Paul sets out to explain why the world's in the shape it's in. He gives four observations that he makes. Number one, the whole creation suffers. If you want to know why it suffers, because of man's fall into sin. Romans 8, 19 and 22. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that creation itself also will be set free from slavery to corruption in the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. Paul is saying, and he tells us in Genesis 3.17, we find there, and he's reaching all the way back, but he's saying, cursed is the ground because of you. Toll, you will eat of all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow. See, not only was man cursed in the fall, when man, he said, in the day that you eat thereof and you disobey God and you, you go the way and you give your birthright away and you give this, the, you know, they were supposed to have the dominion of this world when they gave it away. Now they're under Satan's control. And they would live to regret that decision. They would live to hate that decision. Because of the suffering that they would go through because of that decision. Not long after that decision to question God's goodness. Did man go into deep, deep darkness and hatred. Cain killed Abel. I'm telling you a world without God is a world you don't want to live in. You don't want to live in. And not only did he say, Adam and Eve, you're going to be cursed. Adam, you're going to be cursed. And that as you toil the land, it's going to come from the sweat of your brow. And you're going to have to work hard and long to be able to keep up with the weeds that are in this land. You ever notice that weeds, you don't have to plant them every year. They come up automatically. Amen. We have weeds grow in this parking lot and it's concrete and asphalt. But it'll find a way into some crack or crevice and spring up like, I'll show you. 
I just want to remind you of the curse right here at the church. And so we'll have a bunch of little cursed things running along there till somebody comes along and gets some weed killer and kills it for about three weeks and they'll come back. The curse just keeps coming back. It's like one of these uh, murder thriller movies. You know these, you like scary movies? Why does people do what they do in scary movies? They all head right where the enemy's coming, you know. It's crazy. But this suffering, it's because of the fall of man. We, you know, you follow in church that it was an act of God. You go through life and you realize that people suffer. People die. People hurt. People get married and they go, yeah, I'm going to live with you until death do us part. And they don't. I'll be truthful. I'll be honest. They don't. You go through life, people steal and kill, rob you of your job, rob you of your reputation if they can. But I want you to know, not only was man cursed, but the land was cursed. You know what else was cursed? Not only the, the botanical world, but the animal world. I was watching this little thing. You know, people put all these little videos on, you, on Facebook, and you're watching there. And, oh, look at little Bambi's down there drinking water. And somebody's got a live video on a little Bambi. And then all at once, an alligator comes out of a or crocodile comes. He just pulls it in the water and starts eating and tearing his head off. There wasn't no happy ending. Then, you know, everybody loves elephants. You know, elephants are let's just so kind. They just walk around like somebody's got, you know, they just walk around so happy. And elephants, like who would want to hurt an elephant? But you see three lions attack an elephant and finally get on it, a small elephant, and they kill the elephant. Where did all that come from? It didn't come from God. God did not create beast that way I was talking about these people in in Vegas that had this show of these uh lions and you know they done all these things and they had them jump through stuff and rings of fire and all that till one day one of them ate one of the guys (laughs) then that show was over after that And we can go through the life and we can, we can pledge our hand on the Ten Commandments and we can pledge our, our hand on church membership and we can shake the pastor's hand. And if we're not careful, we'll go out on Monday or Tuesday and we'll sin because we've got a devouring lion, a devil that's after us. We have been saved, we have been justified, but we are being sanctified. We're not, that year, we're not there yet. We haven't accomplished it yet. And so even though we're a child of God, we give our heart to Jesus Christ. And we, you know, God gives us a new born again spirit. And we start feeling the things of the spirit and the love of God and all that. But some days, how many some days on Monday you don't feel the love of God quite as much as you did on Sunday? Just raise your hand. And then something happens. And then before you know it, you've said or done something you knew you shouldn't do. Because inside of you is a nature that's still there called the flesh. And it's just waiting to pounce on you the first opportunity it gets. That's the world we're living in. So don't blame God for the curse. Don't blame God for animals that destroy. Don't, don't blame God for weeds. Don't blame God for suffering. Isaiah, he got a view of what's coming. What's coming. You know, in this later in this passage, he said, right now we've got a taste of the glory to come. I don't know about you, but our family gets together on Thanksgiving and Christmas. But you know, Thanksgiving this last year, we all got our special item that we, that we cook and, and we bring. And my brother, he's notorious for he always makes the turkey. Seems like he always... Always, I'm going to do the turkey. So he does the turkey. And you know, he'll go in there and he'll go, come here, taste this. And you go in there and you taste a little bit of it. That's for everybody else. Like you sneak in there and you taste of it. And you know, or he's already tasted of it. And he goes, man, the turkey's the best I ever eat. It's the best one I've ever cooked. How does he know that? He's already had a foretaste of it, of what is coming. Evidently, Isaiah, in the spirit of the Almighty God, as God was giving him through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was giving him what's coming. 
a little foretaste of what's coming. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9 gives a little vision. He said, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of a cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. That's a little taste of what's coming. Death was not a part of the original creation of God. It was not one of the things God said, I created this and it was good and I created that, that's good and I created that, and I created death. No, God didn't create death. He knew the consequences of the sin and he warned them about it. And so all creation will be restored at least to its original state. And I got a feeling God's got some surprises in store for us that's going to be greater than we ever imagined. I'm kind of getting excited about it myself. Two observations before we move on to the text. It assumes that we understand that God created all of us. One of the first places that people want to make us doubt is they say, well, you understand, you know, we don't believe in creation. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't believe in creation, it's going to be hard for you to believe in a recreation. He created and he's going to recreate it. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Some people goes, you know, the way I look at it is the Bible, Genesis 1 and 1 said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. People go, well, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. No, that ain't the way it is. God said it, and that settles it, whether you agree with it or whether I agree with it. When are we going to get to the point where the Bible, if it says it, that settles it, whether I agree with it, whether you agree with it, whether some party agrees with it, whether some government agrees with it, if God said it, we're going to take it to the bank. It's what really matters. It's what really counts. Psalms 33, 6 and 9 said, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So if it was made some other way, God's a liar. His word's a lie. God says that God created everything. The word of the Lord's heavens was made. The breath of his mouth, all their hosts. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The psalmist sandwiches in his practical application between these verses. In 33 and 8 says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. God alone is the creation. God alone is the rightful Lord of creation. I want you to get that. God alone is the rightful Lord of creation and Lord of, of your life. The fact that of creation should make you bow in wonder and worship to Him. You ever been seen something just beautiful in this world and it just made you feel closer to God? It's a little bit of taste of something to come. Usually you have to be visiting somewhere where people hadn't got to yet. Because people destroy everything. People will trash it up, tear it down, mess it up. Because we're a bunch of fallen people. Psalms 19.1 says the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Then The next thing... All believers suffer because man's fallen to sin. The need, it needs to be stated because, as I mentioned in our last, in, in the sermons I've been sharing with you, that a lot of people have been bought into this lie that if you're a Christian, brother, everything will go good for you. You're going to drive a nice big car, live in a nice big house. If you serve God, everything's going to be rainbows and unicorns. It's going to be wonderful. I don't know wherever that doctrine comes from the pit of hell. But then if you're trying to serve God and that's not happening, you're saying, well, God, what's wrong with me? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through this? Why is my marriage? Why is my job? Why is this going through that? Because of the fall. You may get blessed, but if you're not blessed, you're still blessed. If you know Jesus, 
We're just blessed by knowing him. Our, our, you know, sometimes we kid around here at the church that our benefits at this church are out of this world. And we mean it literally. And some of you, your job, where you work, the benefits are not too good. And so you know your real benefits as a Christian is out of this world. It's out of this world. We find that even when God saved Saul and changed his name to Paul, he sent Ananias and said, he's downtown, he's pitiful, he's pitiful. He's blinded, he's like a big crybaby, Saul is. Ananias, the prophet, I want you to go down and I want you to open Paul's eyes. And Ananias said, you know, he's the guy that's been trying to destroy all of us. He said, go down there and, and, and I want you to tell him and I want you to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Paul's calling, his giftedness was he was called to suffer many things for his namesake. How many things maybe God called you to suffer because you've been going through quite a bit lately? Well, suffer for the glory of God. Paul used to go, see this one right here? See that stripe right there? That was over there. They did that one guy done over there. And, you know, I had my whole back was just beat up. It was like tattoos to him. Like, look at this one over here. It's really good. I got that, you know, over in the glacier. I got that over there. And he would tell him like all that. And he gloried in his suffering because he knew that Jesus suffered. And if Jesus was hated, he would be hated. And if Jesus was despised, then he would be despised. Jesus, he, the Lord himself, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The third thing, we need to think biblically about suffering so that we will, we will grow through it rather than be destroyed by it. Romans 8 and 18, I think Paul was probably Southerner because that's kind of, think, you know, I'm from the South. And Paul said this, well, I consider the world... I consider, see, that's a country thing. I reckon, I reckon this, this present day suffering is not worthy. See, that's why Paul talked and he said, you all. That's why he's such a great guy. I really believe that. But <laughs> I kid. <laughs> but Paul never even pretended that we wouldn't suffer. Peter didn't pretend that we wouldn't. Be. All the apostles died a violent death. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking, roaming like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong. I want you to get you, I want you to, I want you to understand that in this world you will suffer. In this world, you'll go through some stuff, but God's going to restore you. He's going to reverse the curse. Redemption's about reversing the curse. Hosea, God told him to go, and, and uh, he, his wife had become a, a, a prostitute, and she'd went her own way. And he said, Hosea, I want you to go, and I want you to go, and they're putting her up on the auction block, and I want you to buy your wife back. After she'd done all that, yeah, I want you to buy her back, and I want you to love her. All the days of her life. Like Hosea's like, you are crazy, you know. Like, but he didn't. He went and done what God said. And it was to be a sign of what God was going to do for us as his people. God loved us while we were enemies. God loves us while we were sinners. God, this is a work of God. Your salvation is a work of God. It's not of man that we could boast if you haven't figured out that God is the Savior, the Redeemer, He's the one that justifies, He's the one that sanctifies, He's the one that purifies, He's the one that's going to glorify and give us a glorified body one day. These bodies that are breaking down, He's going to give us a restored, rec a redeemed uh, body without the curse. Some people go, well, what if I got cremated? That ain't no problem to God. Like God looking down from heaven and going, oh, I wish they wouldn't have done that. <laughs> God created you from nothing to start with, from dust. Ain't nothing to God. And so Paul is trying to get people to understand in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18, therefore we do not lose heart, but through our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory 
far beyond our comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but, as, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. Anything you can see is temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I'm telling you, you need to quit listening to the devil in the dark. You need to quit listening to the devil when you're going through the trial. You need to quit listening to the devil when you're going through something, telling him, if you'd have been a better Christian, you'd have been a better wife, you'd have been a better son or daughter or something else, this wouldn't happen to you. It's all lies. The devil is accuser of the brethren. He tells us, he said, the fourth reason that we need to think biblically about suffering, namely that God is using it to conform us to the image of Christ. He's using suffering to conform us to the image of Christ. The fact of suffering does not undermine the fact that God has a plan that he plans and will accomplish in each one of us. He just started. When he gets through, he's going to finish. But Paul shows that these things stem directly. All the things we're going through, they stem originally from the sin of Adam. You go, well, that's not fair that a sovereign God would judge all of us because something Adam did. I like what John Piper says. He says, he points out that if you judge God as not being good and just because of what has been poured out upon this world, then because of what happened through Adam, you're trying to claim that if you would have been there and you would have been the guy in the garden, you'd have never went down that road. You're, you're, you're saying that you, you would be better than Adam, that you would, not, you would not sin. And yet, not one of us in this room can say that we've lived our entire life without sin. And so we are as sinful as Adam. And you're also saying that God, that we speak outrage of sin against a holy God. God's judgment on the entire creation as seen all through history. Horrible tragedies reveal how horrific our sin is to him. Piper says also, but in, in fact, the point of our misery, our fertility, our corruption, our groaning is to teach us the horror of sin. And that preciousness of redemption and hope. I've been in a lot of jail ministries when I first started the ministry. I would go to jail and without any, anybody in jail seeing a Bible, without some preacher coming in preaching to them, I would hear things like, I wish I wouldn't have done what I'd done. I'm going to be in jail. I, I went and visited two guys that got high on angel dust and they murdered a guy in a mall that was just a janitor. And uh, one of the youth went to our church and one went to another church in the city and I went and I visited with them they go I wish we had never done that I wish I'd have never done that I hate that I did that I hate myself I hate what I did I hate that I got high on drugs I hate that I did it so really without a bible without a ten commandments without anything the sufferings was leading these people to understand what God had been trying to keep them from all along if you think God's just trying to keep you from having a good time, you got the wrong image of God. God's trying to keep hell from coming alive in you. And I'll tell you something. You, we can take things that we do on a regular uh, occasion. You know, Jesus drank wine and people in the New Testament drank wine and, and they did it in moderation. But if, you are, if you're going beyond moderation and you're getting drunk, it's a sin. The Bible says it's a sin. And you go, well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, people's doing worse things. People get high on drugs. People smoking uh, pot. People doing heroin. People doing other stuff. It, you know, it's not. It's very small in comparison to all that. But I can tell you how God can get you to the point overnight where that little thing becomes a big thing in your list in a hurry. You have a drunk driver driving down the road. And he takes your son out and kills your son because they're drunk. Your opinion of alcohol will change overnight. The abuse of it. The excess of it. There's people. We have a 12-step program here. We've got some good people in there. Good as any of any, anybody here. But probably because of the curse of sin and life in general... Certain people have a propensity that some things cause them to be more addicted than other people. Other people can actually do it. That's why we have to work our salvation with fear and trembling. But they have a propensity that when they start, they can't stop. And so we have a program here at our church that helps those people. 
Those people hate some of these things more than you hate it. And their opinion about it is going to be stronger than yours because they've had to live the addicted life and they're still having to live it. They're still having to deal with the possibility of never wanting to go back. And so when we get on Facebook and we, get on, and we start splurting out our opinions, we need to be careful that our opinions are soaked in the reality that we're not all been through the same thing. What you've been through will help you. You know, what you've been through will help others when they go through it. There's nobody knows the heartbreak of divorce than somebody that's been through divorce. Some people go, well, I was flipping through the internet the other day, and I just, there's some pornography popped up there, and I, you know, I looked at it, and then I looked at it longer, and I looked at it longer, then I looked up some more. Now I look at it every day. There ain't nothing really, you know, put spice back in the marriage. But I'm going to tell you something. You ever have your daughter kidnapped by this sex-crazy industry and carried off and sold into sex slavery, your opinion of pornography will change very, very fast. The hatred of that sin will rise up in you. You don't have to have no Bible telling you to hate it. You'll hate it. The sufferings that we're going through right now should be enough to tell us we want out of here. I want out. I've had enough. I want to go to heaven. I want to make heaven my home. The wages of sin is death. Paul said the way of the transgressor is hard. He didn't, it's hard. It's harder to live for the devil than it is to live for God. In this life, even if you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. You're going to go through some stuff. Some of, some of you, you're, you've got it so good right now, you go like, I don't know if I really want Jesus to come or not. I got it pretty good. You know, I've got a good retirement, got everything going good. Yeah, God could heal all of us of everything, but some of us would never even want to go to heaven. When you stand by a loved one that's went on, why do we have this, these funerals, these people that die and they go on? And the people that's had everything in life, Ecclesiastes said, you know, it had vineyards and had houses and homes and uh, prostitutes and women. And you know, I had more wives than anybody, but I found it's all vanity. It's all vanity. You can make all the money in the world. and It's all vanity. There's nothing here worth living for. Paul said, if your hope is in this life, you are a miserable soul. There's these people now that a lot of people are down on called millennials. Probably most of the ones being baptized today will be millennials. But the thing is, they have this hope. They have this pie in the sky, this euphoric thought that one day we could all live in harmony, that we could all live in peace, that we could sing Kumbaya. And we could, just like us back in the 60s did when we was high on dope. You know, he's like, live in, you know, don't bring me down. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. I believe there's something different than there was in the 60s. I believe the millennials now are getting a foretaste of something they're dreaming about. At least we got some dreamers. They're dreaming about a world where there's no more, there's no more, there's no more killing there's no more guns there's no more people hurting people there's there's love and there's the planet is clean and it's really clean and everybody's you know loving the planet and everybody's taking care of everybody and and everybody just has love they, they have no hate they have no you know everybody's got everything in common you know if you got something and I don't have it here you can have it and they and you know what I think's breeding that in them because they're millennial they're waiting for the millennial reign. The thousand years. Jesus is coming back to this earth. And when he comes back, that lion's going to lie down with the lamb. There's going to be no more 
there's not going to be no more murder. There's not going to be no more killing. There's, you know, when it's finally said and done, when the full redemption of man, when, when, when all of it's come to its, we're fully redeemed, we're fully the reverse of the curse. There won't be no need for guns. But until the reverse of the curse, I want to keep my gun. I'll just tell you that right now. You can try to save this planet, and I, I all for it, because we don't, we don't know when the Lord's coming back. And so we need to be as kind to this beautiful planet that God created as we can. But I'm telling you, this planet's going to burn up and be destroyed. And God, the one that's going to reverse the curse, He is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and earth, I'm going to get a new body. And it's not going to ache. It's not going to be in pain. It is, and in, in relationships, people are actually going to keep their word. And people are going to honor one another. And we're going to live forever in peace. And I can't help but believing that that's part of what the millennials are feeling. But some of us older guys that we lived through it and we had the same dreams back in the 60s. We're going, yeah, I don't want to bust your bubble, but it ain't going to happen. And I don't want to bust their bubble. I want to tell them it's going to happen. But it's not going to happen until Jesus comes back. And reverses the curse. And redeems his children. And takes us home forever. What they're hungering for. Is going to take place. But if you think Washington is going to do it. You smoke in something. <laughs> we might have to close on that one. We got baptism coming. I want to pray today. I love you folks. But Paul, well, Paul just talked real. He's just real. God loves each one of you. He loves us in our trials. He loves us in our mistakes. He loves us in our sins. He's already just, if you're saved and you believe in the Lord Jesus, he's already just. Some of these young people are going to go through the process of showing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives. That's their spirit speaking of. But they'll still have, don't, don't say as a parent, well, I thought you got baptized. They did get baptized. But they're still going to make mistakes. They're still going to have some failures. Still going to have some sins. But they're still going to have an advocate with the Father that's going to plead their case. The God that justifies them is going to keep sanctifying them and working with them until one day he presents them spotless, glorified in the presence of his almighty Father. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray today. We pray today, Father, that you would just come into this place and make this baptism the most special thing in the world. God, I, I think most of the, the baptism today are younger, a younger generation. And I'm thankful that they're hungry. I thank you, Lord, that they're hungry for a better world than what has been offered to them. I thank you, Lord, but I don't want them to be under the illusion that that world is going to take place here and now. There is a world when Jesus Christ comes back. It's going to be just like what they're dreaming of. It's going to be a utopia. It's going to be a dream world. It's going to be a world where there's no devil. There's no sin. There's no temptation. There's no hurt. There's no fear. God, I can't wait for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to play a song, and I'm going to come down and pray for people. This song is called One Day. While you're kind of meditating on this song, and if anybody would like prayer, our prayer team member is going to come forward. Everybody that's going to be baptized, I want you to come up and come over to the side. And the staff that's going to be baptizing you, or you pastor is going to be baptizing today. They'll, they'll meet you over here, so you can just start making your way with your stuff and come right over here to this side place, and we're going to go through baptism. And uh, right when we get through with this prayer, they're going to start playing the videos. I think most of the young people have made a video of their salvation, and then they're going to be baptized. Today, I'm, I'm honored to be able to baptize uh, one of my youth, one of our upcoming youths, and one of our members here. Um, it's just amazing to see what God is doing in the lives of the members of this church. Uh, it's just a, an amazing opportunity to get to, to do this, so we're going to start off. Um, we're going to have a short video that plays that we had, we kind of interviewed them. Um, so we'll have a short video and then we'll begin with our baptisms.
right now. So, I don't listen. My father. Garrett Mims is the seven-year-old son of Kaylee Mims and the grandson of William and Vanessa Mims. Proud of you, Garrett. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you, Garrett. Woo! Yeah. I accepted Jesus the second night of Winter Conference when Clayton spoke. I am being baptized today because I believe that it will help me accepting Jesus and help me keep my faithfulness towards him. Jesus is the one who I can go to, who I can trust, who I can tell all my secrets to. When I have problems with family and anything, I can go to him. Elena Bosserman is the 16-year-old daughter of Cindy Stone and Brian Bosserman. I'm proud of you, Elena. love you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you, Elena. Um, I accepted Jesus in my heart when I was a little kid, but as I grew older, I kind of drifted away. Like, I never denied him or anything, but as I've gotten older, I kind of didn't stay as close, but now I'm just trying to reconnect my closeness with him. I was baptized as a little kid, but I think back then, you know, I didn't really understand the meaning of it or why it was being done. And as in my journey to come closer to God, I feel like this is where he's lead, led me. Um, I feel like I need to wash away all my past and start fresh with him from this point. Jesus to me is my father. Um, he's the one that is going to be able to save me from any of my sin. Um, and he's my savior. Megan Kilburn is the fiance of Daniel Sidrus sister of Rick Kilburn and mother of Riley Lisk and Bryson Kilburn. God bless you. Megan, today I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, guys, I just want to, I want to say a quick prayer for all those that were baptized and just, just for everyone in the church and what God's doing in our church. And then we'll have a time where families can come up and take pictures and um, we'll just have a time for family. Lord, we thank you so much for this day and we just thank you for all the life changes you are making. God, we thank you for your saving grace, God, that you are always here with us, that you're always here to guide us. God, we just thank you for those that have decided to follow you. God, we just thank you for your grace and, and your hand and your favor you've placed on this church. God, we just pray that you will be with each and every person here. God, that you know our pains, our struggles, our hardships, what we're facing, the battles we're fighting. God, I just pray that you would give strength where strength is needed. You would give patience where patience is needed. God, I just pray that you would be with everyone here, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name.